the Mac Observer's Mac Geek App, episode 602 for Sunday, April 24th, 2016. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab. The show where you send your questions, your tips, your cool stuff found in. We go through it all. We put together an agenda. We usually don't follow it. But the goal is to share your tips, to share your cool stuff found, to answer your questions. For all of us to learn at least three new things each and every time we get together each week. Sponsors for this episode include Fat Cat Software's Power Photos the successor to iPhoto Library Manager and the tool you need to manage your photos library. We'll talk more about that at fatcatsoftware.com slash MGG later in the episode. Squarespace at squarespace.com slash MGG. And a new sponsor, FreshBooks at freshbooks.com slash MGG because no one gets into business because they love invoicing. And we'll talk more about all of that shortly here. Here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in Fearful, Connecticut, John F. Braun. Happy birthday, John F. Braun. Happy one day late. Well, not late. I mean, I saw you yesterday, so I wasn't late. With, but today is, is later one day. Happy birthday. Yeah, it was, it was nice to see you. Had yeah, a, had a, uh, sorry I didn't invite everybody else. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> Blame your parents because they hosted it. So, it, you know, it's, it's not you. It's them. They didn't invite Well, I, I gave them the invite list. But if I no, you don't tell them. gave them a, what? <laughs> don't, don't tell anybody. Oh. But if I gave them a list of all our listeners, yeah, that, that could be uh, unmanageable. Yeah, they would have needed to rent out a, an arena or something. So. <laughs> well, they got, they got a bit of land. We probably could have crammed everybody on the, on the property. Wow. Yeah, maybe. the house, though. And it's a pretty big house, too. It's uh, bigger than mine. Yeah, yeah. But I think they got about 4,000 4, square feet. And do they really have more. that much? Wow. Huh? Yeah, yeah it's pretty big. Mine's yeah, yeah. puny in comparison. I think yeah, the yeah. house is about as big as yours. Yeah, my house. Yeah, that, our house is about. Yeah, we're just just shy of four thousand square feet. It's 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 more house than we need, but you know it works out. All right, but uh, yeah, another uh, trip around the sun. Big fun. Yeah, yeah, that's good, man. And it was great to see the international man of mystery, Barry Falk. I I love Barry. It was it was it was good to see him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's weird because it's, you know, when I walked in and, and your mom, everybody was downstairs and, and your mom said, uh, oh, yeah, you know, are you taller than Barry? And I'm like, oh, yeah, Barry's here, isn't he? And she's like, yeah, yeah, you know, he came from Chicago. I was like, yeah, that's not a surprise. <laughs> she's like, how come no one's surprised by the fact that he's here? Because <laughs> like, that's how Barry is. Barry, is uh, Barry was our first premium listener. You folks heard him on one of our... Um, one of our episodes, the, he, he joined us on the show at one point. I think it was the 400th episode, maybe the 500th. I don't, I don't remember which number it was, but, uh, but anyway, yes, we, uh, we love everybody. It's all, it's all good. Hey, we love, uh, we love Gene because Gene shared a great tip with us. He says, I have an iMac, a MacBook Pro, and an iPhone all running the latest software. Recently, my tech substitutions have been syncing nicely. However, syncing used to be unpredictable, and I went looking for a solution. No solution to be found, 
but I did discover a way to back up my entire set of text substitutions and restore the whole bunch if necessary. Here's what you do. You go into uh, system preferences, keyboard, text uh, replacement, and then highlight all of them there and drag the entire selection to the desktop. A single file named textsubstitutions.plist will be created. This is now a backup, right? Uh, later, when the substitutions get messed up, you clear out the mess in that pref pane and then drag that file into the pane and it restores them. So again, totally undocumented, but clearly intentionally built. I mean, it, this is not an accident. Somebody at Apple went out of their way to design this functionality and build it in. And, uh, and now we can all take advantage of it. So I, I highly recommend that everybody go and back up that, uh, that thing. We got to write an article on this. Actually, this is a, this is a great one. So thank you, Gene, for, for sharing that good stuff. It's fun. Maybe that's the final solution to this uh, text substitution thing is just wipe them all out and restore from that file as opposed to, you know, like clear out everything, including iCloud, you know, and just slurp that back in. So, so where are, oh, okay. Yeah. This is what, keyboard shortcuts? Is yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. Uh, System really... preferences, keyboard, you go text. into text and then, yeah, there's the replace with thing and you just highlight it all why okay so see this is what we're talking about i have a ton of these and uh on this computer none of them have synced to it it's awesome <sighs> yeah i don't really use them I, I think there's a default in here omw yeah on my way that's oh, right okay yeah on but that way. came from your phone right your phone synced that down that's a de not a default on the mac i don't think i think that's just a default on the phone but they do they all sync it's crazy. Should sink. Right? Yeah. Well, that. Yeah. Yeah. Clearly, I have a problem. So that's uh, that's what iCloud is supposed to be doing, right? Yeah. Yeah. One of those nice things that it tries to do for you, and sometimes doesn't. Yeah. Doesn't. You know, there was. I, I don't mean to get down this rat hole, but there was some article or report or some some news surface this week that there's uh you know some infighting happening at uh at Apple over iCloud right because they they're the Siri group and and the, the wants to do everything in-house and bring and and the guy who runs the Siri group is now in charge of of iCloud and they want to bring everything in-house as opposed to having it you know sync using you know whatever i think uh, azure and uh, a couple other things but anyway so there's some infighting and, and it doesn't matter what it's over, but it's in the iCloud group. And I, my thought was, oh, wow, this is a good, good thing because iCloud needs kind of an overhaul. So infighting is good because Apple won't deal with this for too long. They'll just, you know, eject the, the people, you know, one, one set of people or the other, bring some new folks in. There'll be sort of a revamp. Somebody will pay attention to it and, and it'll, all the problems will get fixed. And then I stopped myself and I thought, yeah, because the fourth time's the charm. Or wait, is it the fifth? Now, I'm not entirely convinced that Apple, mm -hmm. as a corporation, has the culture to correctly f do the cloud in that way. There are some things they do fine. Email works great. Uh, contact syncing actually works great. CalDAV, I mean, they invented it, and it, it's awesome. File syncing and, and, and data blob syncing. So Tony has a, a tip for us, John, before we get too far down that rat hole. Mm-hmm. Tony says, uh, here's a tip. If you want to send audio to external sound devices, even if the application doesn't support it. And by 
the application doesn't support it. Most apps don't. Most apps don't let you pick a separate set of speakers. iTunes uh, does, but um, but not every app does. And he says, why do I want to do this? As a blind computer user, I use the screen reader voiceover on my Mac all the time. The speech from voiceover goes out the internal speakers and also the system sound plays through the internal speakers. I use Airfoil 5 uh, from Rogue Amoeba. And in there, I found a setting to change the default sound output device when playing through the computer. I have a Scarlett 2i2 sound card. Uh, it's really just a, it's a USB device, uh, which I use for music, podcasts, and other audio. And that card is connected to my bigger speakers. So I select the Scarlett 2i2 card and Airfoil. So if I use an application which doesn't allow changing the sound device, iTunes, for example, I start Airfoil. I select iTunes and then select speaker computer in airfoil. This makes all the sounds from iTunes go through my Scarlet over the bigger speaker system and voiceover and system sounds stay on the internal speaker of the Mac. I can also send, uh, I can also select my Sonos system via air Sonos in airfoil. If I want, uh, it says, I hope this tip is useful. Yeah. I, I always forget about airfoil and uh, it, which is ironic because when we're doing the show, we're using, uh, no less than three Rogue Amoeba products, right? We use Audio Hijack uh, now version three. We use NiceCast to stream out to our IceCast server and so that you folks can listen on the stream at macgeekab.com slash stream and Loopback now, which allows us to kind of route some audio around in a way that uh, that makes it all just work. So uh, so yeah, the, uh, the Airfoil is also from them. Clearly, they understand audio. Clearly, they are able to do this in a very stable way. And Airfoil adds a lot of options, even just locally on your Mac. It doesn't necessarily need to be used to send to remote speakers. Uh, you can get a lot of value out of it that way. So thank you uh, for that tip, Tony. It's good stuff. Yep. And don't forget Piezo. And PA, oh, that's right. And Piezo, you use Piezo on your end to record the backup recording of the show. So yeah, we're using everything but airfoil every time we record the show because they're, now we're talking like we're shills for Rogue Amoeba, but we, we, we are, but by, only by choice because we love them. Uh, Fission, I use when I, uh, if I ever have to do any editing of the audio, it's very, very simple and makes life really easy and you can edit mp3s without having to re-encode them so you don't lose any quality but anyway oh fission oh yeah i'll have to try that it's pretty but, uh, cool man yeah yeah piezo's piezo i think is a great lightweight audio it's like mini audio hijack yeah kind of <laughs> yeah it is no that's right yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. it does one thing and it right. does it pretty well it you know captures the audio from an app yeah uh, see what you've done tony you started us down this path of just you know, showering our love upon, uh, upon the, the, you know, some of the apps that we use, which is good. It's good. And no, Rogue Amoeba didn't pay us to do this. It's, uh, you know, they just make good software. So, but you guys know that. I think our, I think our integrity is pretty much uh, intact because we keep it there. So, you know, we'll tell you when somebody pays us to say something. Okay. Um, let's see. Moving on to Mike, right, John? Absolutely. Okay. More tips. Uh, let's see. He, okay. Yeah. So Mike actually, this started as a question. He said, um, he upgraded his MacBook pro from, uh, snow leopard to El Capitan a month ago. And he says the most annoying change 
is zooming and scrolling on the screen. He says, I used to pinch out an in to zoom the pixels. That doesn't work the same way anymore. From Again, this is a big jump from Snow Leopard to El Capitan. He says, if I'm in a web page, a pinch out is just as likely to increase the font size. I don't want that. I just want to zoom. And so we went through this big, long thing because I didn't really know uh, what to do. But I pointed him to Better Touch Tool uh, uh, because I thought maybe that app would allow uh, that sort of functionality. And it didn't, but he wrote the author and, uh, and the author of better touch tools said, yeah, that functionality is actually still available right inside, uh, OS 10. He says it's somewhere in system preferences and it turns out it is in accessibility. Uh, you can turn on zoom with keyboard shortcuts and then also, use the scroll gesture with modifier keys to zoom. So, uh, so it's all right there. He says, uh, you find it, you can, you can do it fluidly with control and two finger scroll up and down. And, uh, and it's all right there. It's the, uh, use keyboard shortcuts to zoom setting in system preferences, accessibility. So if you liked that, uh, functionality in snow leopard, or if you just don't like it in El Capitan, regardless of what experience you have with snow leopard, try that out. It's good stuff. Yeah, and um, and a, a good reminder. I had to revisit this, you know, since rebuilding a system is. Right. Uh, um, you may want to, or at least on a machine with a trackpad, go to System Preferences Trackpad and look at the various uh, categories because actually, for quite a few of them, you can either enable or disable, like zooming and, and things like that. But a lot of them offer a way to change what the keystroke or, or uh, uh, I'm sorry, gesture is yeah. to get something accomplished. Um, like I still disable natural scrolling because my brain just can't handle it. <laughs> Excuse me. And I like, for example, I have uh, one uh, tap to click enabled, which so, uh, actually somebody at my timeline the other day said, how many people have tap to click enabled? And I'm like, I always do just because I find it, you know, more efficient. Yeah. Some people, I guess, you know, if you're a spaz or something, uh, I can't deal with tap to click. I, I <laughs> okay. am that. I am that spaz. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but then again, natural scrolling to me was never natural. I, uh, my brain just, uh, it, it's weird though, because I, I kind of, my brain changes depending on if I'm using a phone or, or the OS. So yeah. it's like, well, why can't you figure it out? It's like, I don't know. Yes. Yeah, and I, yeah, I have, I have no trouble with that anymore. I, I totally know what you're talking about though, because that natural. And so we're in, um, System preferences trackpad and uh, point and click is where the uh, tap to click can be enabled. And then scroll and zoom is where uh, you can set the scroll direction, which is natural, meaning it's like you've grabbed the page, right? And are actually moving the page, whereas uh, unnatural scroll direction is the old style where your finger is moving the scroll bar, as which is the opposite direction. So... Um, and that's what you're thinking of, right? Your brain is yes. in mouse mode. For some reason, I am able to go back and forth between a mouse and the trackpad. And I didn't even notice that it, I mean, obviously they operate differently, um, but I, I don't know. I guess I'm just used to it, whatever. So, cause on this, on this machine, I actually have a mouse and a trackpad. I moved a trackpad up here to do um, uh, for using logic and stuff. Cause it's way easier to do audio stuff with a trackpad. So I felt like I was using mittens with, with a mouse, but, uh, well, do you have a special one? I've seen, they have some very interesting controllers for, uh, 
no. applications like audio work? Have, have you, do, do you know what I'm talking I about? I totally though? know what you're talking about and I don't have one and uh, probably would love it. But, um, but with the trackpad, it's, you know, it's enough, but yeah, no, I don't have any of those uh, special customized or, or application specific interfaces. No, no, but uh, you know, they do exist. If, in fact, if you folks have favorites, uh, any logic users, uh, or, or I guess they, many of them work with GarageBand too. Let us know. I would, you know, love to talk about them. So, okay. Uh, moving on to listener, Dave, who says, uh, this relates to the point raised in a couple of recent shows about the iPhone six S being somewhat waterproof or at least very water resistant. That may be so, but temporary problems can and do occur Due to mild water exposure, I had such problems, but was able to solve them. I was out in some torrential rain this morning with an undersized umbrella. As a result, my pants got soaked. My phone was in my pants pocket. Uh, It was maybe a few minutes of exposure, not more. Once I was back under adequate cover, I tried to take a call with my phone and noticed that I could not hear anything unless I put it on speaker mode. After ending the call, I did some checking and found that the iPhone thought there were headphones plugged in. Toggling the silent switch on and off uh, showed a headphones volume control instead of the expected ringer volume control. Soon, I also started seeing a pop-up message saying, this cable or accessory is not certified and may not work reliably with this phone. (sighs) Yep. This message would repeat every minute or so. Clearly, the phone had taken on water and was affected by that. Once home, I looked into the sockets and saw some dark lint. Digging the lint out with a toothpick, I noticed the lint itself was wet. Removing the lint did not change the behaviors. A quick search found a number of hints suggesting that I either blow out the socket with canned air or suck on the headphone socket, pulling air through it. Sucking made more sense to me, says I wanted to remove moisture, not push it further into the phone. So I did that and then used a toothpick to push a small piece of paper towel down in to absorb any moisture that was left and then sucked again. That fixed the headphone problem. But I still saw the uncertified cable message. So I did the same procedure with the lightning connector socket, sucking on it to pull air through it and applying a bit of paper towel. And that fixed the uncertified cable problem. The phone charges and operates normally again. So I draw a few lessons from this. Number one, keep your headphone and lightning sockets free of lint. Number two, don't get your iPhone wet, even if it is a 6S. Number three, if you do get it wet, remove the damp lint from the sockets as soon as possible. And number four, after removing the damp lint, go somewhere private and suck on your phone taking care that you don't get caught. Very good, Dave. Thank you for sharing that. I will add one more piece of advice when you, and but th- this can work for you or against you, um, but be at least be aware of the orientation of your phone in your pocket. My guess is that while it was raining, Dave's phone was, you know, top down connectors up and some rain got in that way. If you had turned the phone around so that the connectors were down, less chance of rainwater getting into your phone um, in the, in that scenario. So, you know, gra- gravity, but if you put your connectors down, that's also how it collects more lint. So this can work for you or against you, but just being aware of it. So, And the last piece of advice is get a bigger umbrella. Mm. Always. Or move I, to I, a place that doesn't have torrential rainstorms. Even, or don't get caught in the rain. Yeah. But even, uh, if it's a big enough umbrella, I always still end up getting wet. Uh, I suppose. Now, you know, it's interesting, though, that because that message is what I got when I, uh, when I, uh, some of you may recall when I got my 
first iPhone success, I was getting that same error message. No matter what I plugged in, except for one cable, just a basic charging cable, but everything I plugged in would give me that error after like five seconds, I think is the timeout, and brought it to the, you know, brought it to the store, brand new phone, and they're like, yeah, there's a, as far as I can tell, there's a short um, on the motherboard. You get a new phone. So I guess the same thing was happening temporarily to his is that there was a short in the, uh, and yeah, also the uh, tech uh, isolated it to lightning connector. So that kind of makes sense that that would happen. Yeah. 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 Cool. Yeah. Glad I could try it out. Yeah. That's a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. All right. One last tip slash question thing uh, from Tim who writes, I recently had a nightmare with uh, genius bars. Let's see. I want to make sure I'm. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, this is the right right way to start this. Uh, it says that generated a question about restoring from carbon copy cloner. Uh, he lives out of the country, so when he travels to the states, he pays a lot of attention to fixing problems on the various MacBook Pros and iPads and iPhones that he uses for his work. Uh, it says in February he was in Washington, having a problem. Waking my late 2013 15-inch Retina Pro from sleep when the clamshell was closed. Logs showed kernel panics, and the onboard hardware diagnostics showed there was a battery problem. I went to the Genius Bar in D.C., and their remote diagnostics, the one they use at the counter, showed no problems. I asked them to run the higher-level diagnostics and got a call later, uh, a day later saying they had replaced the logic board and a USB bus. I went to pick it up, and the worksheet showed they had not replaced the battery. My machine worked, but I was nervous about relying on the unit. Needing to head back to Africa, I bought a new maxed out 15-inch Retina, uh, basically a replica of the repaired machine, to use and put the repaired unit aside until I had a chance to get back to the States. Back in New York last week, I took the repaired unit with me with the intention of getting the battery problem fixed. I fired it up after making a Genius Bar appointment. Sure enough, it started having the wake from sleep with the clamshell closed problem again. At the Genius Bar, we went through the same routine I experienced a month earlier. The remote diagnostics passed the battery. So, of course, the battery was okay, according to the Genius. He added further insult by saying that the 10.11.3 onboard diagnostics were known to give false readings and guaranteed me 200% that the battery was okay. He made a diagnosis of a corrupt sleep image. We whacked that image, but the OS wouldn't generate a new one. We wiped the hard drive and installed a new OS. Again, I asked them to run the overnight high-level diagnostics. I came in the next day and took it back to the office and fired it up. After a brief open clamshell sleep, I got a blue screen. I restarted it, and it started turning itself off after three or four minutes. Onboard diagnostics still showed the battery issue. Back to the Genius Bar for round three. Finally, I discovered why they were refusing to replace the battery. You need to replace the whole top cover to replace the battery. A $500 repair. They did finally replace the battery. I came back to Africa and now I've discovered the keyboard backlight doesn't work back to the genius bar the next time. So the tip here is being persistent and trusting your gut. And in this case, you know, trusting uh, the onboard diagnostics as well. The, the genius is right that at that, but, but it, in a sort of meta sense that no, diagnostic utility is going to be a hundred percent accurate all the time. Obviously in this case, the onboard diagnostics were correct about the battery. Their diagnostics were correct about other problems that the machine was having, but no, no one of them was comprehensively uh, accurate. And, and that's always going to be true, right? Of, of any diagnostic 
system. I mean, the diagnostic itself can be faulty. It's, it's looking for certain circumstances. And when it sees those, it will say, I know there is a problem, but um, false negatives are all too often a, uh, a symptom or a, a, an issue with diagnostic programs, right? So trusting your gut, making sure you stick with, uh, you know, and, and, and being persistent about it, politely persistent. I always like to say, because, you know, these are the people that can help you. So being nice to them and friendly as I'm sure Tim was, uh, can be helpful. He has a question too, but do you have any thoughts on this, John, before we jump to his question? Mm, not really. Okay. I know sometimes you like to rant about diagnostics, so I wanted to open that. Well, I was going to say, always keep in mind that computers lie <clears throat> yeah. and diagnostics lie, but, yeah. um, yeah, sometimes you got to go with your gut, even though, you know, well, like I told you, you know, I had my recent experience with a, a vending machine at a, at a, at a store here. Oh. And it was funny because, you know, there was a problem. I, I tried to do something. It wasn't registering. And, you know, the guy came up to it. It was a coin star machine. And he said, well, the diagnostics say it works. And I'm like, yeah, watch this. And I went through the motions of trying to use the machine. And I was like, see, it doesn't work. And he's like, huh, you're right. I'm like, trust me. Yeah. Yeah. I, diagnostics do, this. I do this for a living. Computers lie all the time. All the time. <laughs> yeah. Well, they can't, you know, it, it, I mean, it, you have to think about how the diagnostic software for any piece of technology is built, right? It's built to look for specific data points, whatever those data points are. And if you hit one of those data points that it knows to look for, it says, okay, we know we have a problem. But if it, if the problem is outside of the data points that the engineer who wrote the, or engineer or engineers who wrote the diagnostics uh, thought of at the time, well, then that's it. You're done. You know, it's not going to find it. So, yeah. Yeah. And like even in this case, the, yeah. the error with the, it was a mechanical error. So even though the internals of the machine and all the sensors said, Hey, everything's cool. There was still something wrong. Yeah. It just did. It, it didn't, the, the, there wasn't a sensor to detect this error condition. So right. it said, yep, everything's great. Everything's good. Right. Yeah, there's right. Sometimes there's no way for an onboard diagnostic to know. That's right. All right. So on to uh, Tim's question, he says, what is the right way to restore from a carbon copy clone after a repair? where you're afraid there might be some system files carried over. Um, system files, the way OS 10 is built now and has been built for a long time, every install of OS 10 has all the system files it needs to run on any computer that exists at that moment. And what that means is if Apple, you know, if, if I build an OS 10 install on my, you know, on my Mac here in the, in the office. And I put, you know, a 10.11.4 on it. It'll run on any Mac that runs 10.11.4. But if Apple releases a machine next week that requires 10.11.5 or sometimes a custom build of 10.11.4 that only, you know, that machine has for whatever reason, then this install probably won't run on it. But that install would run on this one. So I wouldn't worry too much about carrying system files over uh, from one to the other. If you're worried about corruption in those system files, the easiest way to address it, in my mind, is do the restore anyway. And then as soon as you get it up and running, uh, do the combo updater on the uh, on the restored 
drive just to, you know, kind of flush out any, anything that might be, might be missing, or you could reinstall El Capitan on top of itself. If you think there's something at the core that, that wasn't dealt with in the combo updater. That's my thought on it. I like that. I think also sometimes a safe boot can rebuild some things that may have gotten mucked up. Yeah, but but carbon that's like typically caches and stuff like boot caches, but carbon copy cloner doesn't save those anyway. I don't think. But you're right. I mean, that's a that's a that's a way to be sure that you're not grabbing those. Right. I know I know Time Machine doesn't. We talked about this. Time Machine and and actually I verified this. I don't know if we followed up on this, but Time Machine actually has an exclusions list. Right. Right. Um cuz yeah, I was telling you one time, yeah, well I excluded this cache directory and you're like, well, you don't need to. And I'm like, really? Cause it, yeah. it allows you to define it as, as an exception as, as something to not include, but it doesn't tell you and it'll tell you the size of it, but it doesn't tell you, Oh, by the way, I already exclude this. Right. Which right. To me is kind of a UI mistake. If you're trying to exclude something, the time machine already doesn't back up. I don't know why it lets you add it to the list. It should say, Hey, I, I, I don't back this up anyways. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 No, there is, um, we'll put a link in the, in the show notes, but there's, uh, there's some, there's an article in carbon copy cloners knowledge base that says some files and folders are automatically excluded from a backup task and it lists oh, exactly what those are. So yeah, we'll put that in the, uh, in the old show notes there because it's, uh, it's handy. The other interesting thing I ran into this. So I tried downloading, um, some OS installer. So I have OS installers going way back. Okay. And this is very interesting because I have a newer machine here now, the 2014 machine. Sure. I was actually, uh, it was actually refused to download certain older OSs. Oh yeah. It, said, it nope. run. It's like, no, can't run on me. Yeah. The thing is, well, can I download it anyways? And it's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> so I had to, go, I actually had to go to my 2012 machine. So on my 2012 MacBook Pro, I was able to download all the way back, I think, to Leopard. I think I got like five versions back, but I was able to download them all on this machine. And, and the reason you may actually want to re-download installers is because in February of this year, an intermediate certificate expired. Right. Um, so if you have older installers and you haven't downloaded them lately, or you download them a long time ago, they probably won't work. So download them again. A little piece of... Little little side <laughs> advice there, but I ran into it. I was like, "I believe it." Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, you know, John, we have uh, some great questions to go through, but I want to take a moment here, if uh, if that's all the same to uh, to you, my friend, and uh, and tell everybody a little bit more about the sponsors I mentioned in the beginning of the show. Fantastic. All right. Our first sponsor this week is power photos from fat cat software at fatcatsoftware.com slash M G G power photos is the tool you wish Apple had made to help you manage your photos library, but it's actually better because it's made by an indie developer Brian Webster at Fat Cat Software. So the updates come right away. He's actually using it. He's seeing it the way you as a customer would, would want to see it. And that's actually really, really important. So Power Photos, it, it, it's the ultimate toolbox for photos on the Mac. If you want to merge libraries together 
If you want to eliminate duplicate photos, it came from iPhoto Library Manager, right? Which is the app that Brian Webster at Fat Cat Software wrote to do this for iPhoto. But now that we have photos, we need Power Photos because it's done differently. If you still have an iPhoto library, actually Power Photos can help you migrate that over to Photos. I just can't say enough about this piece of software because it truly is the tool that you need to manage your photos library. We got a note from listener Dan and he says, uh, you guys talked about tidying up the iTunes library. He says, I have a photos library, but I've got a bunch of hard drives with photos on them that I want to pull in, but I want to deal with duplicates. Uh, how would you solve that problem? I'm like, dude, power photos. That's it. That's all I have to tell them. Go to fatcatsoftware.com slash MGG. That's where you're going to download power photos. And then coupon code MGG gives Dan and you 20% off. So check it out. Fatcatsoftware.com slash MGG. Coupon code MGG, 20% off. You get Power Photos and iPhoto Library Manager together for one price. And yes, you get 20% off of that price. It is just the one price. Our thanks to Fat Cat Software for sponsoring this episode. Did you ever hear somebody say, man, I want to go into business because I love invoicing customers? No, nobody goes into business to invoice people. You go into business to do something you love, to do something you're good at, but you have to invoice your customers. But I will say this as someone who's been in business and someone who's contracted with people who are in business. Doing those invoices is usually the last thing on your list, but you need to do them because otherwise you ain't in business. You need cash coming in. That's how that works. Our second sponsor, FreshBooks, makes invoicing super, super easy. The folks at FreshBooks have created cloud accounting software so ridiculously simple to use that over 5 million small business owners are now officially feeling what they call the FreshBooks effect. Nobody likes doing invoicing, but here's the thing. Using FreshBooks to create and send an invoice literally takes 30 seconds. That's it. It's really, really easy. There's no formulas. There's no formatting. They take care of all that for you. You don't have to think about keeping track of your receipts and expense reports. You can use the FreshBooks app to take pictures of your receipts. And then FreshBooks sort of handles the rest attach it to customers if you got to bill them for something that you bought because you know you, we have a lot of consultants that listen to this show FreshBooks man FreshBooks is perfect for you go do what you love let FreshBooks be the thing you use to invoice it is the easy path to doing this your clients can pay you online via FreshBooks which often means you get it, your payment you know much faster than having to wait for them to think about sending a check any friction you can remove is a good thing. FreshBooks will automatically, if you want, notify your customers of overdue payments. It kind of keeps you at arm's length from those conversations. That's kind of a good thing sometimes, especially when it's you. Like, like I said, we've got a lot of consultants that listen. If you're the one doing the work, that conversation can be awkward. You will get better at it. Trust me, it happens. But FreshBooks helps you get there. Here's the thing. You can experience that FreshBooks effect totally free for 30 days. Go to freshbooks.com slash MGG and then enter Mac Geek Gab 
you can enter MGG too in the uh, how did you hear about us section. They're, they're checking for both of those. They'd love for you to check it out. And so would I. I really think if you're in business for yourself or you've got you know a small business and you need to get your invoicing on schedule, FreshBooks is the way to do it. FreshBooks.com slash MGG. You get it totally free for 30 days. You can check it out and go from there. Our thanks to FreshBooks for sponsoring this episode. Invoicing isn't the only part of your business that you need to get straight. And our third sponsor this week, Squarespace at squarespace.com slash MGG will help you with your web presence. doesn't really matter what you do for your business these days. You need to have a website. It doesn't need to be something that dominates your time, though. It does need to be your presence. Squarespace, as you might have guessed, makes it easy. Because that's the idea, right? You go, you pick a template that fits with your personal brand or your business's brand, something you like, and then you take your logo and all of that stuff and put it in there. You put your, your text in that talks about your business, probably your phone number and maybe an email address, how people can contact you. You can also link with MailChimp, right? So that it'll uh, capture people's addresses, obviously, when they're willing and put them on your mailing list for you. It's, it's just everything in your web browser. People are going to visit your web page in a web browser. Why wouldn't you want to design it in the web browser? The answer is you would. That's where you do all your work with Squarespace. Once you've picked your template, once you've designed things the way you want, you hit publish. Now you're on the web. Three or four months from now, you say, you know, I want to kind of tweak things up a little bit. I want to give it a fresh look. You pick a new template. Guess what? All of your text and content and images even slurp in to the new template because it's all inside Squarespace's system. This is where the beauty of Squarespace really, really shines, especially if you're doing like blog posts or things like that, where you've got content you're putting in there. You don't want to lose that. You don't want to have to work on migrating that. You don't. Squarespace takes care of it. Check it out. Squarespace.com slash MGG. Plans start at just eight bucks a month. And that's retail. You're a Mac Geek Gab listener. You don't pay retail. We've told you that. 10% off using coupon code MGG when you buy. And if you sign up for a year, you get a free domain. And that you're going to need because, you know, you want your website to be at your home. Check it out. Squarespace.com slash MGG. Again, coupon code MGG gets you 10% off your first purchase there. Our thanks to Squarespace for sponsoring this episode. Damien writes, recently I was using the hotspot feature on my iPhone when I decided to also check for app updates. Normally, they're limited to less than 100 megs when downloaded over cellular. I happened to tap on one that was 125. There should have been a size warning, but it was downloaded anyway. Do you know if there's an increased limit with hotspot turned on or was this this a fluke? So this is interesting, Right, because when your iPhone is connected to another hotspot, it has no way of knowing how that hotspot gets its data connection. Right, so if you've got like a MiFi or or you're just connected to another iPhone, uh, then it it doesn't know. Right, it just knows that it basically treats it like you're on Wi-Fi, and it's like, yeah, okay, I'll download whatever you want. So all those things that you go through and you turn off for cellular data limits, those don't exist when you're connected to another hotspot. And that's an important thing to know. But you said that the way you worded it, 
Damien, is that you were using the hotspot feature on your iPhone and on that phone, you decided to check for updates. So yeah, this is interesting. Uh, I would have expected the same thing you expected, but maybe with hotspot turned on, you're basically telling your phone, maybe that's the way to disable these. I don't, I got to test that, John. Do you know anything um, about this? Yeah, I was scratching my head over it too. I was trying to think of the scenario he was talking about. And yeah, as you pointed out, <clears throat> if you're connected from another device via Wi-Fi, then the limit doesn't apply. But I'm trying to figure, because I mean, there are parts, I guess it depends on your carrier. I mean, there is the, hmm. Yeah, it, I would expect I mean, there is it the to cellular work. section where you can specify. Yeah, I'm actually... But, but it's I'm not, it's, where, it's not honoring where, that, right? Which is the weird part. I don't know. I don't know. I wonder if he... Ha- oh, gosh. Look at... Oh, this is interesting. What's okay. that? Well, I'm looking in my cellular section, and I see our, our pal Wi-Fi assist here. Yeah. I actually have a number there. Interesting. Huh. That's a, that's a di- different... I think, I think we've, we've headed down the uh, squirrel rat hole. Yeah, yeah. But no, what I'm trying to figure out is where is where is that limit set to begin with? Well, it's set if you're in the cellular section, right? And and you've got cellular data on it, it, for each app. So you scroll all the way past these to get to Wi-Fi Assist at the bottom and notice that. But on the way in, um, everything in between the top and the bottom where Wi-Fi Assist is, you, it says use cellular data for right, and then you've got all those settings. But the app limit, the app store limit is baked into the phone. Thou shalt not pass go. You, you cannot. Okay, that's that's what I thought. Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. I just wasn't sure if there was a way to set that ceiling or not, which would explain no, what's it, happening here. No, that's set Apple. Yeah. Okay. So it could be just that, yeah, when it's in hotspot mode, it ignores this, I guess. I wonder if it, if it ignores the rest of the settings, too, when it's in hotspot mode. That's the question, right? I mean, maybe Apple put this in as like a way for people, look, you know, we want somebody to be able to download an app that's larger, so we'll build this little workaround in. But is it still going to ignore, you know, uh, the, the things that you've told it? Yeah, don't let this happen over cellular. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. We'll have, to, uh, we'll have to do some testing here. If you folks know, um, let us know. You want to take us to Adam, John? Do I? I do. All right, sweet. (laughs) Guys, a quick question. Do you know of any way to have my Mac stop using today and yesterday and tomorrow? Oh, I didn't know you could do that. Um, And just use the the actual date in the finder. (laughs) And file open save windows. Oh, kind of have an answer, but not a full answer. So... The way to set this for most things, Dave, or so I thought, was when you're in the Finder, yeah. you go to the View menu, and you say Show View Options. There is a checkbox. Use relative dates. Okay. You uncheck that. It won't get all fancy pants on you trying to, you know, tomorrow, yesterday, and stuff like that. But you know what? It doesn't work for save and open dialogues. It still uses the abbreviate or today, yesterday, and tomorrow. Oh, really? Which to me, I think, uh, personally, I think that's a bug. Because I consider those, well, you know, the thing is those... They're not the finder. Open and save, yeah, the the thing is, I mean, they're file system related, but they're not finder. Yes. So I, well, I think they're kind of... Yeah, I mean, they're very, very related to the finder. I totally know what you're saying, yeah. So I 
and then I was, I, I was trying to look for a secret setting for this and I'm just looking now in default folder and I don't see it there. Yeah. I mean, one thing that, it, one thing you may want to fit. So the thing is it, it, it'll work for the finder, but it won't work for open and save. Yeah. One suggestion I saw, uh, surfing around cause other people have, you know, just want all the dates to be consistent. Sure. Which, uh, that, that's great. Um, one suggestion is you may want to go to language and region there. You can fiddle with the format of dates and maybe you can come up with a, a custom format. Oh, I don't know yeah. if that's going to, I don't know if that's going to override the, the fancy pants stuff. Uh, you know, at guessing there, the doing the relative thing. The other thing that uh, someone suggested, which is kind of a cop out and kind of, they're like, make the column narrower. <laughs> If you make that column narrower in the dialogues, I think at some point it'll eventually you can't fit the word in there. So right. it'll, it'll, it'll use, oh, yeah. uh, I think it'll just put the date or maybe the date and time. So, uh, but, but that's not a real answer. No, it's not. But I, I it's, do, I do want to point out before we get too far away in the, um, when you go to view in the finder, changing this, right. If you go to view and uh, show view options and you set this use relative dates or not, um, at the bottom of that, uh, preference it's a modal die oh it's not modal well it's it's like half modal um it uh there's a little button that says use as defaults and so it, it what you're doing when you change this uh when you pull up show view options you are changing it only for that window that is up unless you set use as defaults so just just bear that in mind. And this can be handy. I mean, for dates, maybe, I don't know, but it, you know, if you want to have a, some folders calculate all the sizes, including folder sizes and some not, this is the kind of thing you can set here. Or maybe you've got one folder where you want it to show you tags or version or something, but not everywhere. Again, you can tweak all this stuff right there and it is specific to that window. So just, just so you know. Yeah, so, you know, I, I'm wondering if it's one of these, you know, mystical, you know, default right or, you know, yeah. one of these secret settings here that, that you're able to toggle. Yeah. I couldn't find it. So if anybody knows, um, it, it's just annoying because we almost solved the problem, but but not yeah. you get fully. You get close. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fully. Actually, what, is, what I did find interesting is looking at how you can customize your date and time format. That is actually kind of kind of fun yeah that might actually do it right yeah i like that that's good all right so along the same lines or well similar uh michael asks i keep getting this weird ds store actually dot ds underscore store document showing up on my desktop it's 33k when i move it to the trash and empty trash it comes back again any idea what this is and how to get rid of it without showing again yes in fact, if we jump back to Adam's question where we talked about how that uh, save that that option saves settings specifically for that one folder, this is w what it does. It saves these settings in a .ds store file. It's also where it saves where icons appear and and all of that stuff. These are folder specific settings, and almost every folder in OS ten, uh, at least any folder that you've you've made any changes to, has a .ds store uh, document in it to store these settings, but they should be hidden. Um, and that is, uh, 
that's the problem is the desktop. It's supposed to have one. That's why it reappears. It is not supposed to appear though. It's just supposed to be there and be hidden. Um, there's a couple of different ways to unhide these things. Uh, cocktail is one of those apps that will do this. Uh, it, there's a, there's a setting to do it. Extra finder is an app that will let you set this. Uh, you know, I wonder John, if extra finder would, would solve your other problem. Um, and then, and we can, we should look at that, but, um, then there's, I found a stack exchange discussion that we'll also put in the show notes, uh, that explains, uh, exactly how, like all of these programs like cocktail and, and extra finder, they're just issuing, like John said, a defaults, write command. They're just making this easier for you. If you want to know what that defaults, write command is. And for this one, it's defaults, write com.apple.finder apple show all files false. And then you have to restart the finder, but it's in there. You don't have to write it down or remember it. Just go to the link that we'll put in the show notes. But, uh, but that's what these, these, these programs do. They just automate the, or gooey up the process of, of typing those things in the terminal. So, uh, so extra finder might be the thing, John, I don't know. Hmm. And yeah. one thing I mentioned is if your DS store files are in a state of chaos and you just want to whack them, uh, our pal Onyx does that. Onyx oh, Maintenance yeah. Rebuilding. They have a category where you can... Because uh, sometimes they, they get... you know It stores all this you know icon placement and, and the appearance of things in the finder and sometimes it just gets out of control. So, uh, so Onyx can help you get back to a known state. Uh, that's... Yeah, I totally forgot about that. Well, yeah, a known... Yes. Maybe not your preferred state, but... Your known state. Yeah. The other thing I know is that they're an annoyance for, especially if you're on a, a network with different types of file systems. Yeah. Uh, more, I've, I've had more than one Windows user complain about all these nasty oh, yeah. little DS store files that they can't. Yeah. Because <laughs> I guess Windows by default doesn't hide that because it's. Right. Right. It should with a dot in front of it, but. Um... I guess when that may, that may be an old bug. I'm just. I, no, you're right. No, I, I see it too. And in fact, I see it as I'm. If I go and navigate my my Synology drive or folders from the Synology as opposed to from my Mac, it's like, oh okay. yeah, there's all those DS store files. It's like, oh well, it's fine. It's part of doing business as a as a Mac user, I guess. Uh, let's see. Yeah, okay. Uh, I'm hoping you did some research on this one too, John, because I I want to make sure I get this right. But Wesson says, uh, I'm looking at the difference between the new MacBook and a MacBook Air. Could you expound upon the differences between the M5 and the M7, both of which are in the MacBook, and also the difference between, differences between the I series of processors and the M series of processors? So, yeah, good question, because this is kind of an important thing. Apple obviously revved the 12-inch, maybe not obviously, if you don't know, Apple revved the 12-inch MacBook this week. They, they put newer processors in it, uh, which have both faster CPU and GPU, probably somewhere between 15 and 25% speed boost for the MacBook. Um, and they also have lower power consumption in these CPUs, which means you will get, um, according to Apple, an extra hour of battery, battery life. And, and that makes sense given what, what, uh, what happened. But this is the core M processor that's in the MacBook. So uh, when you buy a MacBook, you have the option uh, of buying an M5, as Weston says, or an M7. And we'll put a link to uh, an article that I found about this 
But the differences between them are largely speed. Uh, CPU and GPUs in the i7s are faster. And then something called trusted computing. Okay. The speed, um, the, 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 the important difference, I think, for the M5 versus the M7, and I haven't seen tests on this with the new MacBooks yet, but uh, tests on the CPUs have happened. The speed in the i7, the faster speed in the i7, comes at about the same power cost, meaning that the uh, M7 would likely give you even better battery life than the M5 doing the same things because you're getting the more speed at the same battery, which means the same process eats less battery power in the end. So that that would be the reason to go with the M7. Um, this trusted computer, I want, and I want to get your feelings on this, but I'll just address this trusted computing thing quick, John. Trusted computing is something I don't fully understand. I'll put a link to the, the Wikipedia article, but it seems like it could be used by software vendors to store data to ensure no one is running a compromised system. The, the, the examples they talk about are like gaming software could, could put something in, in this trusted computing. I don't want to call it the enclave because that's going to confuse us with like the truly secure enclave that exists on, uh, you know, on the, uh, on the iPhones and stuff, but it's something where a game developer could put, use this trusted computing thing to confirm that, Hey, this user is not using a hacked copy of this game and, and that sort of thing. So I, I, in short, I don't think trusted computing plays a huge role for, for us as Mac users or really um, for most users in general, but that's that. So that just talking about the M5 versus the M7 and, and the speeds and, and the power consumption, John, do you have any, any thoughts on that? Uh, in general, and I think I've seen this personally, so I recently upgraded from a, uh, the Core 2 Mac Mini to a i5 well, I, I, yeah and i want to I, I want to save our discussion for the the i5 versus the i uh, the, the i versus the m so i just want to kind of focus on the the m the, the differences in the m line right now and then we'll get to all the rest of this i just kind of oh. want to keep us on on track here that's all i mean in a nutshell m is mobile it the the the, the priority for those right, processors yeah, yeah, yeah. i think is no you're, yeah, you're, you're is, right is you're, power okay. consumption yeah, you're right. So we're moving. You don't have any anything to say about the differences among the M line of itself, right? No. Okay. No. But you're Just right. Their purpose in the grand scheme of things versus the I. Yeah. No. And that's that's exactly right. Moving on. That's um, that's the yes. The M's are meant to be lower power. Way way lower power. Um, there's a good Quora article I found about this. Um, and, and, and you're right, right? That's it is if you want, um, if, if your concern is power consumption, the M is better. Um, if you want performance, the I is better. And that, that's really where, where that comes from. I, th I think, right. Is that, yeah. As far as I know, that's, yeah, yeah. That, that's their intent. Yeah. Yeah, it's so the answer of which is better is more about what, you know, what what's more important? What aspect of this is more important to you? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it is interesting looking, you know, comparing the the MacBook now is uh, about the speed of a 2011 13 inch MacBook Air. Right. Um, it's it's that's about what it's caught up to. 
at, at this point. But um, yeah, so, you know, if I, and I'm sort of considering being in the market for a, a new laptop because I've got the 2011 11 inch air. And so the MacBook is the right size machine. I really like the fact that it's got a retina display, obviously. Um, but other than that, and the keyboard's cool and the trackpad is a marvel of engineering to be able to do that in a machine so thin, but with the haptic engine and all that stuff. But in terms of like what would be best for me, I feel like the air, if I can get over not get over buying a new machine and not having retina, the air is still the better of the two. We need a retina air is what we need, but then, I mean, that changes the whole equation. I, I get it. Yeah. To me, it's kind of, I don't know. I think we touched on this before, but the, the air and the MacBook now seem to be getting, there seems to be kind of an overlap that they, well, you know, that's why we got the question. I'm right. <laughs> I right. think is I would have difficulty justifying one or the other. The thing is, well, it's easy for me because I'm a MacBook pro guy. So, <laughs> right. I haven't yet, uh, considered an air or a MacBook, but, uh, but yeah, they, 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 the, like I said, there, there seems to be quite a bit of overlap between the two machines as far as performance and battery life and, and things like that. It's a tough decision. Yeah, it's it's like, well, I mean, it's, yeah, you, you pick which, you know, is retina more important or is everything else more important? And and, and, and that's not entirely fair, but that's pretty close. I, I actually really like the concept of USB-C and one port on the MacBook. It, it, it makes a lot of sense to me um, because, you know, if you're going to plug something into your MacBook, you're probably going to want to plug everything in. Um, you know, especially if you're at your desk, right? You don't want to get back home and plug in power and then USB and then this and then that. It's like, no, just have it all live on the same bus and just one port and you're done, right? I mean, th th that's really elegant. And of course, obviously, if you're mobile and you need to just connect a, a drive or something, you just connect the, the drive. You know, the one port thing, I, it makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, I'm not against multiple ports, but I, I do like the one port concept. I think, I, I actually think people will back up more that use USB-C than uh, otherwise, because here's the, here's the picture, right? If you use USB-C, you've got to set yourself up in a way where your external hard drive is in this one USB-C chain and probably the thing powering your, your Mac and charging it, right? So when you get to your desk, you're always going to plug in power. Well, with USB-C, that's power and everything else you've already set up. So now your, your time machine backup just starts right away. And we, we can talk about the relative merits of time machine versus other things, but I think you get my point. It, it's not, it's definitely not going to back up if it's not connected, you know? And so I, I like, I like this idea of USB-C. It's clean. Uh, the single port makes sense to me. Uh, it, you know, it's one, one bus to rule them all on the MacBook pro, the same connector, USB-C connector, you can tunnel Thunderbolt three across it. Right. So, and I know that doesn't exist yet for the MacBook pro, but I feel like it, it could. So I, I, I like that whole idea of just give me one port. That's fine. Maybe, uh, you know, some people have argued on the MacBook Pro that they should put two USB-C ports. Yeah, okay, fine, whatever. I like that. 
but I, that's not a deal killer either way for me, you know, between a MacBook and a MacBook air that's, but there's a confusion in the market. They need to resolve this. They need to probably kill the air, but they can't without losing that low, low price option. I don't know. It's tough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. That's my thought. What do you, I'm curious actually, while we're, while we're here, what do you think about the concept of USB-C on a MacBook pro with, with only one or two ports total on a, on a MacBook pro? What are your, cause I, I, I know you like ports. Um, I'm wondering, would it do everything? Uh, I got to admit, I haven't really looked at it in detail. I okay. mean, I understand it's the one port to rule them all. Yeah. But, um, yeah, especially with Thunderbolt 3. Yeah. I mean, all I can say is, yeah, I mean, right now I got two USB 3, which I'm happy with. One Thunderbolt, which, you know, actually, I still haven't used my Thunderbolt port for anything. Okay. Although now, you know what I should do? I should get a, a Thunderbolt cable. I think, in theory, I could, I should be able to get my two computers to talk to each other through Thunderbolt, right? You can do... IP through that. I'm pretty sure. You can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I should try that for kicks. And then this has FireWire, which that that's old school now. That's I don't use that anymore. But um, I, we're using FireWire right now to record the show. FireWire is way better for audio because it's uh a oh, iso I I I isochronous, right? I think I'm, I'm pronouncing the word right, right? Uh, well, I think it's more consistent as far as uh, Yeah. Isynchronous, yeah. No, not well, isynchronous. No, no. I, isochronous, right? I think is the, the isochronous. Yeah, I, I think I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I S O C H R O N O U S, which is only available in FireWire, uh, but you can have this, you know, connection that's based on time being important. That that's what that's what an isochronous connection is, um, and USB doesn't have it. And that's why the way we do the show here with real-time monitoring, I'm not listening to myself coming out of my microphone. I'm listening to the entire mix of you and me and the audio comments and all of that stuff going through the computer's processing and coming back out. So there's, you know, it needs to be extremely low latency and timing is important. USB is awesome for that, you know, for about five minutes. And usually it's actually, it's, it's good for about 20 and then USB starts to break down, and that's why we have not yet found a USB interface that will work. Firewire supports isochronous mode, so and I might be—I I know we've mispronounced it because we pronounced it about six different ways since we've been here. But that's the—that's the huge benefit of Firewire um, that for for audio. So, but Thunderbolt can can get you there, and there are Thunderbolt audio interfaces. So as Firewire fades away, it, you know, it, uh, Thunderbolt can take mm-hmm. over. Yeah, I like to say isynchronous, but you can say but there's isochronous. No, but there's no there's no Y in it. It's I S O C H R O N O U S. There's no sync. It's the the the, the, the there's no S Y N C in there. It's so that's <laughs> isynchronous. I, th- I think you might be talking about two different words, right? I think I may be. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll I'll put. I'll put this in. Oh here. no, I see here. Isochronous and isynchronous is uh, okay. Yeah, they're two different things. Isochronous, yeah, is how it's it's supposed to be pronounced. Isochronous. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Hey, just learned something new. Yeah, I know. It. Yeah, it's and it's 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 an important distinction for very a very very small percentage of us, and and mm. I'm one of them. So. <laughs> <laughs> 
But I guess what anyway. it boils down to is USB, from what I've observed, and I think you have as well, is that USB tends to give more of the responsibility of managing stuff to the computer, and that makes it probably not as good for things like audio. <laughs> yeah, well, not for real-time operations. It's just not built right. for that. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's fine. So, Yeah, anyway. Well, that was fun and geeky. Yeah. So. So. Okay, good. So I guess I don't have any thoughts, but my ports are now all up to date. Well, right. fairly up to date, except for USB C. so I don't have USB-C yet. Yeah, the only device I have with USB-C on it is um, my Apple TV 4, believe it or not. Oh. And that was a pain in the neck because I got the developer edition of the Apple TV 4 and it got, you know, its developer updates, which is fine. And it was great because it cost me a buck, you know, on top of my developer thing. And so that was great. Um, and then it was like, okay, well, we've released the, uh, you know, the, 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 you know, the, the, it's been released to market. So now you just need to get on the normal path of, of software updates for it. It's like, great. And the only, you can't do that on uh, over the air. You have to put it on from your, you know, from your computer. It's like, okay, fine. But it didn't come with a, a USB-C cable. And of course I had no reason to have a USB-C cable around the house or the office. So I had to buy one. And at the time it was really hard to find them. So I have a USB-A to USB-C um, port cable now that, that I can use in my Apple TV to, to do that. I used it once and it was way different. Well, yeah. So Blat Boy in the chat room asks, USB-C and USB-3 are different? With a question mark. And the answer is yes. One is a connector type. Uh, and the other is a protocol, right? So we have USB-A, USB-B, and USB-C connectors. And I always confuse which is A and which is B. Um, but I believe A is the port that we have on our computers. Yeah, A is the, the flat nor what I'll call normal, not USB-C, but it's the flat port. And then B is the square uh, USB port that a lot of times is on, like there was a bunch of printers that had USB-B ports on them. And so you'd get an A to B cable and you'd plug in some USB hubs. Actually, a lot of USB hubs have uh, B ports, USB two hubs do anyway. Um, so, so yeah, yeah. And then USB-C is this, is this other connector uh, that we have now. And, and you can send all kinds of protocols over it. You can send power over it. So that's the um, right. Am I getting that right, John? Kaya, well, well, the thing is, USB three is also an update. So to to make it even more confusing, but USB, so USB three is not a port, right? One describes the well, protocol. it is in a sense in that you have super speed. So USB three offers uh, a different connector if you want to get increased speed. But it's backwards compatible, so it's it's kind of so USB three is it, both it, an electrical protocol, but it's also a specification for a type of connector. Just right. to make it more confusing. That's right. Oh yeah, it's. I mean, yeah, USB three. It requires a modified USB A connector, or a USB C connector. I think is the right way to say that. 
right? Because it's a USB A yes. connector that that we use for USB three unless we're using USB C. Yeah. So A, B, and C describe the connectors. Uh, one, two, and three describe the speeds, and three requires the right kind of connector, either A or C. Did I, I mean, I think that's the, the, the simplest. Yeah. Well, to get the, to get to get speed beyond. Yeah, 400, uh, 480, 480 yeah. megabits per second. It has extra pins, and you got to have the right connector for that. Otherwise, it backs off to to USB two. Right, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Yeah, good question, Black Boy. That's um, man. Yeah, Whew. making us think. Um, I you know Brett asked. Uh, I mean, his question, uh, Brett, Brett asked, which should we get a 13 inch air or a MacBook? So I think we, I think we covered Brett today. So you guys didn't uh, know that cause you're not seeing the know. agenda. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. Yeah. We well, the answer that. is, uh, whatever you want. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> get one of each. Hey. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, Joe writes, he said, I ran the update to 10.11.4 from 10.11.3, and because of some glitch, I lost all of my applications and a few other programs. I won't bore you with the details. Before I restored my machine with a super-duper clone, I did a clone by hard drive, which I believe has all of my data, including my old mail messages in my sent mailbox. Is there a way to find the messages I sent between March 15th and April 14th of this year and maybe place them into a folder that would appear as another folder in mail? I think I found them in a folder called sentmessages.mbox within pop dash and his email address, which I won't read, uh, but that's hard to decipher. I'm not sure if I, if I provide enough information. Yeah, you have. So the folder you found is the right one. Oh, and he also says, uh, if I, I suppose that if I had converted this to IMAP before this, I wouldn't have this problem. And, that, and that's true because IMAP stores a copy of all your messages on the server. Um, we'll talk about that in a second though. Uh, when mail stores messages locally, it stores them as individual text files in essentially what's called the MBOX format, MBOX, and and they're text files. So you should be able to, if you open up that, you know, pop dash or the sent messages dot MBOX, which should be just a folder inside your pop folder in library mail or home library mail, you should be able to see those text files. They're, they're, their names are going to be non-human interpretable but the contents should be mostly human interpretable and you can even quick view them they're just text files you can just hit the space bar on any one of them and it should pop it up and yeah once you you can create you could even drag these into your sent mailbox on your existing machine and then they would just fill that in and be that way you where you want them um you certainly could put them in a separate mailbox but sent messages are are different than any other kind of message because they're messages that came from you. Uh, so they're addressed a little bit differently and the sent mailbox sort of knows how to deal with that and shows you instead of showing you um, who it's from, it shows you who it's to. And so you might have an easier time managing them. If you just drag them into your, your sent mailbox on your, you know, on the, on the new machine that should, that should work fine. I think, what do you think, John? I'm looking here is uh, are you sh you said it was a text file yeah i'm seeing emlx file right but they're or it's that's text. another yeah, okay. yeah yeah you're no you're totally right they end in .emlx but they are not binary files they are ascii files 
Uh, okay, it's it's just something yeah. to help male understand this is in fact a male message. Cor- correct. Yeah, but yeah, it's yeah. It's just text. It's it, just it's, plain, it's just ASCII be. is what I should say. But yeah, and it is just Got text. It. It's it's the raw message with the headers. And if there was an image, you're going to have the you know the um uh the the the, the mime encoded you know por- portion there. It's all just there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, that that should work. I don't see any reason why why it wouldn't, um, right? I mean, if you go into yours, if you go into your uh, sent messages, you you see that, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. The only thing is that the the way things are arranged in the mail folder once you dig down gets kind of can get kind of weird, as you said. The well, one part of it is just this huge alphanumeric. Yeah. Explosion. Yeah. <laughs> then it gets down and somehow, cat- I, I think it sometimes categorizes it by date or date range or something. Cause you'll yeah. get like a data folder and then maybe like I'm looking here. So I see a zero that a one folder then a one folder and then messages. And then all my stuff is in there. It's right. Like, mm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So you got to dig beneath the covers, but uh, it is there. And then I guess, of course, the other suggestion is get away from. Get away, get away from, from pop. pop. Yeah, <laughs> I, I will say that, and I to- obviously totally am on board with that. But I just so you know, for anyone uh, that still hasn't migrated from pop and and is going to, especially if your current mail provider offers both, and you just happen to still be using pop, when you migrate, it's important to add first, then delete. Uh, and by that I mean, even if it's the same provider. Add your IMAP account as another account to mail and then migrate anything that's not in your IMAP mailboxes. Migrate that from your pop mailboxes. And, and it might be a lot, right? Because pop sort of by default will download things and then delete them from the server. IMAP is just going to show you what's on the server. So you may need to put things back on the server by moving things from your pop inbox or sent box or drafts or trash or whatever it is to the IMAP equivalent. And I know it seems weird that like you're moving between the same account, but you're not right. IMAP is synced with the server. Pop is just local. And again, that just local thing is what you have to remember because when you delete your pop mailbox, it deletes it from when you remove it from mail, I should say it deletes all of it from your Mac. So inbox sent drafts, trash gone. You do not get those back. So shoot a backup first before you do any of this. But then again, the right procedure is just move everything into your, add the IMAP box, move everything into it, let it finish. Look at mail's um, window activity uh, menu or uh, uh, go to window activity and it pops up this thing and just make sure that's empty. And and then you'll know there's no more tasks running. Um, And then you can remove the pop account, but it will delete Anything that's left in there will be deleted from your Mac. So just make sure you've got it somewhere else. That's all I got. Right? And one additional thing I got. Remember remember I, I looked at this a while through, uh, so I'm with Opt Online. Yeah. They now offer, apparently, official support. I, I think I dabbled with this like mm-hmm. a year ago and they had a beta. You know, it was like, you know, Opt Online or beta.optonline.mail. Sure. something. And yeah. I'm like, oh, look, I'm at. Let me try this. And it worked fine. And then I think someone somewhere shook their fist at me saying, dude, it's a beta. What are you using that for? You're, and I'm like, hey, it was on their web page, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. If you publish the name of a web server, even though it says beta, I'm going to try it out. 
Yeah. Then they got rid of it because I think they were just doing a test. But right now I'm actually going to a page and, and they actually say, oh, yes, we officially support. I don't see the word beta anywhere on this page. And it says, yeah, we got IMAP and SMTP now. Oh, good. Go that's for good. it. So uh, the thing is, I, oh, I moved away from using. The thing is, I don't use uh, the their mail servers at all. I mean, I, I long ago moved sure. to, I actually, uh, all I do right now is I have forwarding. Uh, any of my IAPs. Yeah, it's all forwarded to, I think, my Yahoo account, right? Yeah, now. right. And then I alias it and all that great stuff. But, uh, well, nice to see they're getting with the program, though. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> for the longest time, they, they did not, uh, and I think a lot of uh, ISPs, uh, well, didn't, I don't know. Didn't know. Most ISPs didn't offer IMAP initially. Yeah, because it's, it's expensive because... Because of the nature of IMAP, a um, it's it's actually computationally expensive because you've got people interacting with the server far more frequently than you do with POP, right? Because it's this constant, it's this client-server relationship where there's this syncing happening and mail is moving in both directions. So it really is when we when we put IMAP on when we used to run our own mail server when we put it on there, it was like CPU usage went way up. It's like oh look at that. But um, the other problem is it's it's expensive and storage costs are, I mean, relative, but it is expensive in terms of storage because unlike pop where people are just, you know, you're, you're a temporary placeholder for the mail and then people download it and delete it uh, with IMAP. People are going to store all that mail that comes once it comes in, it's probably never going away off your servers. Right. So you've got to give people plenty of storage and storage, you know, I mean, it's storage is, well, more storage is more expensive than less storage. Let's put it that way. <laughs> you, you need to have the storage available. So that's why a lot of ISPs yeah. just didn't open that door. Um, but I will say this, and I think you're kind of going through this. I don't recommend any of you use the email address that your ISP gives you. Because here's the thing. If I used my whatever it is at Comcast.net email address here. Um, well, let me rewind. If I still used jasbo at austin.rr.com, right? The very first cable modem address I got. And that wasn't the first email address I got from my ISP. Roadrunner. Yeah, but that was my address, right? And if I chose that day to just use that address, well, what happened when I moved from Texas to Connecticut and, you know, got an email address initially from... Oh gosh, it wasn't charter that we had. We moved to charter for cable, but we used DSL for a little, Oh, it was SBC. Uh, and so I had an SBC email address cause I had DSL and then I moved from DSL to cable cause cable got to be faster in that area. And so then I had a charter.net email address. Then we moved to New Hampshire and I got a Comcast.net email address, right? That I've had the same email address since before I got my roadrunner account. And by moving from one to the other, it didn't matter. No one that knows me needed to know that I changed ISPs um, because all those email addresses that I had are gone because I canceled my account with those. I don't want to pay for internet service in Texas when I live in, in New Hampshire or whatever. So, you know, you having an email address that is tied to your ISP ties you to your ISP in more, uh, more ways than you would want to be. Uh, 
and it, mm-hmm. it makes it just makes it a headache for you to move away from your ISP. And and let's face it, maybe they like that, <laughs> you know. So that's why it's in, in Comcast or in uh, Optimal Online's best interest to offer IMAP, right? They keep their customers on it. It's you're disincentivized from moving away. It's it's a little bit of a pain in the neck. So yeah. I, I I recommend not using your ISP email. Go get a Gmail account. They're free. You know, whatever. Get Yahoo. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, especially when you go through a change, because uh, same thing. Like my uh, uh, my parents, they they use uh, primarily Yahoo. Yeah, um, because they've been through multiple cable companies. It was first one company, then I think Comcast acquired them, and this and that, and so all the all the things changed. And actually, some of them, I guess, yeah, got deactivated or, or trashed. Of course. Like yep. even here, you know, I'm wondering about this. So I got an email and I, I'm, I'm wondering what's behind this. So OptOnline just sent an email on the 18th, April 18th. And they said, um, just want to let you know our email policy will change on May 13th, 2016. Basically, they say, if you don't access your email in 90 days, we're going to wipe it out and not warn you and it can't be recovered. It's well, like, that's, they uh, see, that's a reaction to hello? them having, <laughs> no, that's a reaction to them having IMAP, right? Because they don't. I don't think the IMAP thing is recent. They may be. I don't know when they put the IMAP in place. No, but it, this I, is a way of them managing storage. Oh, I get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. You know, it's like we. No, you're right because they have to provide this. the disk space. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, no, I exactly. understand that. Yeah, this costs money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, though it makes you wonder, you know, like Yahoo, they're like, "Yeah, dude, you want free email? Here's a terabyte." I'm like, "Hey, awesome, sweet." So, <laughs> so yeah, though it adds up. It does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, it's good stuff, man. Well. I think we've hit the end, and we, there's oh more gosh. we could do, uh, always. But I, it was sort of in my uh, in my head today to not talk about networks in in any way. And I think we we've did a great show and kept the networks out of it. That doesn't listen. It doesn't mean that we're stopping talking about networks. I just don't want every episode to become about it. You folks drive our content here. You know that. Um, but we participate in that by curating those questions you send in. So I know lots of you ask about networks and routers and cable modems and, and, and all that stuff and Wi-Fi. And so we will talk about that more. But when all we whatever we talk about in the show, you also respond to. So we just need to be careful not to make every show. It's, it's easy to create this feedback loop where all we do is talk about routers all day. So uh, um, and wait, it's wait, fun. Wait. Yeah. Now, yeah. Did, did you say Feedback? I did. Dave? I did. Well you, didn't, well, you didn't say feedback at MacGeekGab.com, because if you did, I would say that that's the email address that you should send your comments, tips, questions, and whatever else you want, want to I, send us. I think you said feedback at MacGeekGab.com, John. Is that right? I am almost always going to say feedback at MacGeekGab.com, unless Easy I'm going to say, say. <laughs> unless I'm going to say premium at MacGeekGab.com. That is true. And John, why would someone email premium at MacGeekGab.com? Well, premium is a way to support us uh, financially. Uh, You get priority access. Um, You get that warm, fuzzy feeling of supporting your two favorite geeks. And it's just the right thing to do. If you can do it. Yeah, and I think if you go to MacGeekGab.com. That's all you need to do. Premium? No, you just go to MacGeekGab.com. Yeah. And there's a premium link. It'll explain everything, you know, how you can help us out. And uh, you help us, we help you. And 
help everybody. Yeah, listen, uh, premium listeners that we talked about in this episode, uh, from most recent to back to the beginning, Joe, uh, premium listener, Wesson, premium listener, Michael, Tim, Dave, and Mike were all premium listeners. So uh, thank you to all of you, and uh, and thank you to everyone uh, that's a premium listener, and thank you to the rest of you that 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 aren't premium listeners that sent in questions. Like we said, that you drive the content on this show, and so we definitely appreciate that too. Gene, Tony, uh, Adam, I believe, and Brett, which we mentioned. We answered your question before we mentioned you, so there you go. iTunes comments. It's time to ask for those again, I think, because they're really, really helpful for us. Um, so if you could, just go to iTunes and leave us a comment there. We can't reply there. I know it's kind of weird, but... Um, but it really helps us, you know, just having new comments posted frequently there really helps us. Uh, Their reviews is what they are. And the folks at iTunes pay attention to that. When they see more comments coming in, they highlight the show, they feature the show. Of course, that brings in uh, more exposure, more listeners, and that helps keep the mind trust uh, growing and growing, which is good for all of us. So we'd really appreciate it if you just take a couple of minutes and go and review the show, leave an iTunes comment. You can say whatever you want. We'll, we do read them all. In fact, we get, we sign up for this service that gets us the iTunes comments from all over the world. So even if you're not in the U.S., we'll still see your comment. So please uh, just, just leave them. We'd really appreciate it. I want to thank Cashfly, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com for providing all the bandwidth that gets the show from us to you course i want to provide uh thanks i want to offer thanks i don't want to provide thanks i want to say thank you uh to all of our sponsors power photos of course fatcatsoffer.com slash mgg freshbooks at freshbooks.com slash mgg squarespace at squarespace.com slash mgg those are the sponsors of this episode of course ongoing sponsors in the podcast marketplace include gazelle at gazelle.com smile at smilesoftware.com slash geek otherworld computing at maxsales.com, barebones software at barebones.com, and Casper at casper.com slash MGG. John, you made it another decade, my friend. And for that, I'm quite happy. I'm glad I was able to celebrate your birthday with you yesterday. It was, um, it was a good bunch of friends. Do you have any advice for the people? I mean, you've, you've, uh, you've lived, you've seen things. Do you have any advice for uh, for those of us that that haven't lived quite quite as much yet, but are on our way? Dave, if you've seen what these eyes have seen, and I'm sure you know where that's from, but <laughs> um, baddie, very baddie. Um, no, the only advice I can give after after all these decades, though I I didn't take my own advice because it happened yesterday, is that I did get caught. Yeah. Made up.